I know you just sat down, but uh, Gage reminded us of a tradition that we have had. Uh, and we want it to be more than a tradition, but to, to stand out of reverence for reading God's word. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read Psalm 125. And then I'll let you sit down again. Psalm 125, hear God's word. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is God's word. You may be seated. So forgive me up front for the melodrama, but my introduction is a little melodramatic, okay? So just forgive me, uh, like Jesus would, okay? But I, I will never forget the day I got the phone call. I was in Greenville, South Carolina when my phone rang, and it was my mom. And she, um, she called, and I was in my room getting ready between Greek class and going to work at FedEx. She said, hi, son, how are you? And never one to beat around the bush, my mom. She got straight to the point. And with what I think was a tear in her eye and a lump in her throat, she said, your grandma died this morning. And my maternal grandma, Grandma Woodward, had lung cancer and finally laid down her cancer-ridden body to go be with Jesus. And I sat on my bed and wept with my mom on the phone and the point is that adversity had struck my life again. And again, through the death of a loved one, it struck. I didn't know how to deal with this loss. So what I did was pour myself into my schooling and my work. Friends, I didn't even go to the funeral. And I, I tried to forget. I tried to pour myself into what I was doing, the degree I was getting, and to provide for my family. But that's just a small token of all of our lives. Adversity strikes us all one way or the other in this dangerous journey. The death of a beloved grandparent, the loss of a job, unfulfilled dreams, conflict at home, infertility or inconsolable loneliness. Adversity strikes us all at some time on this journey. So I wonder, for what do you need to trust God for today? What challenge, what problem, what conflict is in your life for which you need to trust the Lord on this dangerous journey? Uh, there is hope for whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, whatever conflict or problem and adversity is in your life, you can trust the Lord. And friends, how we deal with adversity will show what we're trusting in. For me, I was, I was trusting in a distraction and a goal and in something else to get me through the, the sadness that I had. What is it for you? Those who trust in the Lord face adversity with confidence because of who they trust in. Not because of themselves or not because of their, their charisma or personality, 
they face adversity with confidence because of whom they trust in. And the Bible tells us they start to take on the characteristics of the one in whom they trust, the one who is the object of their faith. That is the Lord, God. And I think Psalm 125 shows us four benefits of the traveler who puts his trust in the Lord through adversity. Even in the midst of adversity, the the traveler on this dangerous journey who puts his trust in the Lord has these benefits. They are unshakable, unflappable, prayerful, and peaceful. Those who trust in the Lord are unshakable. They're, they're, They're stable. They're unflappable, they're, they're confident in God. And because of all that, they, they turn in prayer towards God and they end up as peaceful. Unshakable, unflappable, prayerful, and peaceful. Let's look at these verses with God's help. Number one, the, the one who trusts in the Lord is unshakable. Notice, remember friends, this is poetry. The, this is not like English poetry, but it is poetry. The, the poet here, the songwriter, writes these words to be sung uh, as people journey from wherever they are to Jerusalem to, to celebrate the feast, to rejoice in God and his redemption and his provision uh, for his people. And as they travel and as they, as they make their way to this Jerusalem, they're encouraged to sing these songs so they might learn more about this God who they have confidence in. And, and they're told that they are unshakable as they travel. And God uses this, the psalmist, the poet, the songwriter, uses this metaphor here. They, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The first benefit for those who trust in the Lord in their times of trial are that they are secure, stable, immovable, just like Mount Zion. Mount Zion is another name for Jerusalem. The city of peace was was built among these seven mountains, and Mount Zion was the tallest. It was was immovable, it was shakable, and even though Jerusalem would get destroyed, the mountain there did not move at all. It was unshakable. And God says, for those who trust in him, and not in other things, like their their own intellect, or in in money, or hard work, or their character, or, or anyone else, or anything else, they would be like... Mount Zion, who cannot be moved. But it's not just an unshakable, a stable place. It is a place that abides forever. Notice in verse one. Trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And if you trust in the Lord, you are not temporary. You, you are not like a house built on the riverbed or desert sands with a shaky foundation. You will be unshakable forever. Those who put their Lord and put their trust in the Lord in the middle of the deepest sorrow, the cruelest tragedies of life cannot be shaken. They are eternally unshakable. And because they are eternally secure, they are confident. And and verse two adds to this poetry, just a reminder, Hebrew poetry is built on, is parallelism. It's built on parallelism, not rhyming of words, but 
more rhyming of, of thoughts. It's, it uses word pictures and similes a lot like uh, English poetry, and yet it builds its thoughts through parallel phrases, like rhyming thoughts. In, one, in verses one and two, you can see this is, a, is sort of a staircase parallelism, parallelism. It has similar imagery and a similar message, except it's just slightly different. Verse two adds that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And those who trust God are not only stable, but they are secure. They're not only un unshakable, they're, they're secure in, in where they put their trust and where they stand and where they put their hope because the Lord surrounds them. And there's a ring of hills surrounding Jerusalem, as I mentioned before, and, and Jerusalem is called the city of seven hills. And, and like the hills surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And it's just not any, any Lord, it's not any God, it's not anyone, it is the covenant Lord. He uses the name Yahweh twice, you see there in, in all caps, the Lord in verse one, and the Lord in verse two. This is the covenant name of God that he reveals to his people, the God who enters into relationship with people at great cost to himself. He, he's not a God who dwells in the hills and expects the people to surround and support him and, and bring offerings to him as if he needed anything. He doesn't need their help, no. This is the God, the God of gods who helps his people, who enters into covenant relationship with his people and surrounds and supports and helps them. And how long will he do this, you might wonder. How long will God support me? How long will God be the one my confidence can be in? How long will he surround me with his love? And verse two says at the end, the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore, it was just another way of saying forever, it's eternal. Like verse one, it's, it's eternal from this time forth and forevermore, both now and forevermore. So, dear friend, you, those of you who haven't heard back on your job applications, or those medical records, the, the medical tests that you have had, and you wonder how will God provide for you Trust in the Lord. Trust in God. Those who do are stable and secure and unshakable. So you wonder what will happen to this church because even, even though we have relational health, we, we have declining numbers and our friends, some of our friends have moved on and it seems like the fellowship of the ring may be breaking up. We can trust in the Lord. Those who do are stable and secure forever, even for this church, even for you personally. He will not abandon you. He surrounds his people forever. Before we move on, we must ask, what does it mean to trust the Lord? What, what, what do we mean, trust the Lord? Put your trust in the Lord. Well, according to this chapter, Psalm 125, in this context, in, this, in these verses, Trusting in the Lord is believing what God says is true even when my circumstances tell me a different story. 
Believing what God says is true, even though my circumstances tell me a different story. So, what God says is true, even though the outward, the the circumstances surround me tell me that it's not true. Well, what is that for you? What is the circumstance in in your life that is, is tempting you to believe that God is not true? Typically, that, that presents itself in anxiety for us. We're anxious about many things uh, for many reasons, and, and one of them is uh, because our circumstances are telling us something that God is not true, telling us that what God has said is not true, and we're starting to believe it, and therefore, we get anxious. That, that's not the whole reason, but that's part of the reason. And in verse three, the circumstances of verse three, the circumstances of verse three would seem to contradict verses one and two, but not for the poet who trusts. Notice he says, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Notice that the circumstances, I think, are that the scepter of of wickedness is ruling at the present time, But the hope and the trust of the poet, the the, the psalmist is saying it won't last that way forever. It will not be that way forever. There's a settled confidence in this verse that has the fragrance of those who trust. Just imagine yourself as an exile coming back from either Babylon or, or some other place that you've been exiled to. And coming back to Jerusalem and, and reading, these, reading these songs and, and knowing that there's probably a king in, uh, in Assyria or somewhere else that's calling the shots. There's, you know, the, the traveler, whether it's a, a man or a woman, just think of yourself as that traveler, knowing that another government is calling the shots. And as you return to Jerusalem, it's just not going to be the same as the way you left it and you're coming home, but it doesn't really feel like home. And the, and the, the temptation would be to believe that God is not true. God had promised that there would be a king on the throne of Jerusalem, of Israel, forever. And now there's no king on the throne. And as you, as you come back and you're traveling and, and you remember those verses that say there will be a king on the throne forever, but there is not a king, you have to remember the goodness of God in his, in his prophets and in his promises that there would be a branch that, co- that come out of the stump of Jesse. And you're looking forward to that, that one true king that all the other kings pointed to that, would, that will sit on the throne forever. And he's always sat on that throne because all the other kings pointed to this king, the Lord, the one who surrounds his people. He is on the throne. And they would have to be confident that though those, their circumstances told them differently, God was the king. You have to be confident that God's rule supersedes any government. So what is this scepter of wickedness? We, we can't be for sure exactly what it was, but it was probably the, the governing rule of, of wicked people. In the book of Nehemiah, he experienced what? The, that very thing, the scepter of wickedness, when he came back to build the walls of Jerusalem. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah and 
in the opening chapters of Nehemiah represented this government and, and, and tried to stop them from building back the walls. But the very building of the walls was a sign of what, that God was doing something. Even though pagan rulers ruled the day, even though Sanballat and Tobiah would, would try to bring down the building of the wall, God was on his throne ruling in sovereignty over all of this. And the scepter of wickedness would not let, lay on the land forever. Well, friends, it wasn't just pagan oppression. It wasn't just oppression of pagan governments that Nehemiah had to deal with. In Nehemiah chapter 5, God's own people were oppressing the poor as they came back into the land. In Nehemiah chapter 5, there was an outcry against uh, Jews, against their own brothers who had made them mortgage their own land just to, for food, for grain, to eat. They had to sell their kids into slavery to pay their taxes. This was God's own people doing this. There was oppression of wicked governments from the outside and the uh, oppressing uh, wicked government from the inside. So whether the wicked rule of the outsider or the insider, the psalmist is confident that the wicked will not rule forever. The Lord will not let the scepter of wickedness have the last word. And whatever you're worried about today in terms of government here or government in other countries, God will not let the scepter of wickedness last forever. And dear friend, if you, if you are not under the rule of Jesus Christ, he will have to sweep you away in judgment. The, the Lord is the, the righteous judge who will sweep away all wickedness. But thanks be to God, he will not let your own sin have the last word either if you return in repentance to him. You can be unflappable and confident in all of you who have put your hope in God and turned to him and him alone for salvation. He will not sweep you away. He, 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 will, he will let the scepter of his own righteousness last on those who trust in him forever. So won't you trust in him? Won't you turn and put your hope in, in Christ alone? Friends, back to the, the rule of wickedness. Even though it doesn't look like God is ruling, though for a time he may choose to rule through wicked men like Nebuchadnezzar or Nero, the scepter of the wicked will not finally rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Christian, if that is true of governments, then that is also true of your life. In every circumstance, in every adversity, he will not let the scepter of wickedness rest on you. Like I said before, he will not let your sin have the last word. Now for the Christian, the land allotted to the righteous is not just a certain spot like Israel or America. Uh, according to Paul and Corinthians, it's everywhere. It's not just a physical place, but it's a spiritual place as well. There is, there's not a, Abraham Kuyper said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Everywhere is his. 
And therefore, everywhere where the righteous are, he will not let the scepter of the wicked rule over them forever. He won't let it last. He won't let it rest. He won't let it be forever. Friends, this should free you to engage against the rule of wicked governments in whatever you do. Maybe God is calling you to, to, to politics or, or, or to just, to just to pray and to work hard against the rule of, of wicked governments. It just frees you from, from, to be able to do that. It also frees you from worrying that the rule of the wicked will overcome Christ's kingdom. It won't. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous because he will not let their hands stretch out to do wrong. He's not going to let the righteous people do wrong. They are unshakable and unflappable, stable and secure and confident because those who trust in the Lord are unflappable in him. One might think that believing in the sovereignty and meticulous providence of God would lead to complacency, but the poet here tells us that it leads to prayerfulness. The scepter of the wicked shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, for the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. And what does he do? Does he just end there? Because, because God's in control and he's sovereign, I don't have to do, I don't have to do anything. No, look at how he ends the poem. He ends with prayer. He, he turns from in this poem to praying towards God. Do good, O Lord. He, he turns from praise and confidence to petition. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Prayer is both a benefit of the traveler and an obligation of the traveler. Trusting in God leads to talking to God. And that's the natural course of things. Friend, if you want to know if you are trusting God in your adversity, look at your prayer life. Uh, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Even when I say that, I feel bad about my prayer life. But God, God is asking us to, to test. How, how do you know if you're trusting or not? Or do you pray? Are you like Nehemiah when he goes before King Artaxerxes? And before he says anything, he shoots up an arrow prayer to God. God, please open this man's heart to my words. So we must ask, where do, does your heart and mind go when adversity strikes? Where does your heart and mind go when hard times come? When painful times come? When uncertain times come? When adversity strikes? Because of who God is and because of what he has done, we can trust him. We we can trust who he is and what he has done. So we can trust him for our future. We can trust him in our anxiousness. We can trust him in our, in, in our fearfulness. We can trust him in our pain. We can trust him in our sorrow. And that leads then to the content of this prayer. The psalmist, whoever it is, prays that God would do good to those who are good and to those who are upright 
in their hearts. It reminds us of Psalm chapter one. You will, we're trying to memorize this with our family the other day. Um, it's sort of an opening into this, this book of songs. Who, who, who is... Uh, who, who can enter into the praise of God, the thanksgiving of God? Who can enter into this book of emotions, go, making our prayers back to God? It's, it's, it's those who are like the wise man. And now it's just, it happens, friends, when you're up in front of people, you just forget. I could have I said this for you a couple of days ago. But it, you're like the blessed man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. This, this is who, the, the, the do good to those who are good. Who are those who are good? The ones that stay out of the way of the wicked, the one who uh, does not stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In Oslaw, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, it sounds like, maybe it sounds like prosperity gospel to, to some of you, but that's not what it's meant to be. The, the, the man who has been saved by God, surrounded by God, secure and unshakable uh, because of God's presence in his life, it therefore, logically leads to, to an ethical life, to, to living out what has happened to them. You don't, you don't stand in the way of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers. Your delight is in God's law. Why? Because he saved you, because he's been merciful to you and redeemed you, and so you live out that life. The wicked or the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For how can all of this be? Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And the psalmist, is, his prayer is, is in line with Psalm chapter one. It's the traveler who puts his trust in God in adversity, in the times of distress, will be unshakable, unflappable, and prayerful. And it will pray for certain things, like doing good to God's people. God, please do good to your people. And then notice in, in verse five, he doesn't say do wicked to evil people. He just prays back to God what God will do to wicked people. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways the Lord will lead away with evildoers. He leaves it to God. God, please do good to your people. Not, not because they deserve it, not because they've lived a great life and, and have placated you through a, a life well lived, but we're asking you to do good to these, your people. And, and let, let the wicked go their own way. He's asking for justice. He's asking for judgment on the evildoer. He's, he, he's, he's saying, God, you, you, I'm leaving the judgment to you. You do what you will with this. Leaving the judgment of the evildoer to God. Those who walk in crooked ways to the justice of God. So you might wonder then, friend, this might leave you wondering, is there any hope for someone like me. I don't feel very good 
I, I don't feel like I do good a lot. A lot of times I feel like I'm actually pretty evil. And if, if my prayer life is a measure of how good I am, I'm really in trouble. Is there hope for someone like me who, wouldn't even, who didn't even go to his grandma's funeral? Is there hope for someone like you who in adversity put their trust in the wrong things? Is there hope for people like Israel who are exiled because of their own sins? Friends, the only hope is that God would bring, bring peace upon Israel. And peace, one commentator said, is the, is the promise and pledge of those who comprise the true Israel. Who are, the, who are the true good? Those who have put their hope in God and God alone. Not trusting in their own good works, but trusting in God and him alone. Those who turn from their quick, crooked ways and put their trust in God and him alone. Peace, peace, peace be on Israel. And the only way you can have peace, dear friends, is God and God alone. He's the one that will make you unshakable in times of trial. He, he's the only one, if you build your life on uh, in the foundation of, of Jesus Christ and him alone, he's the only one that will bring you confidence in this life. He's the only one that will show you that the, the life of, of peace and safety is, leads to a life of prayerfulness. Peace, peace be on Israel. You know, friends, we thought that in this time it would be a, a good time to have a, a time of prayer, of petition and, and application of the, the sermon in, in this in particular stage of our, of our church in this particular sermon. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of petition for certain things and application of the sermon and then I'm gonna give you a time of, of silence that you could pray and ask God to help you apply this sermon to your own life and then we'll take the Lord's table. So would you pray with me one more time? Father, we, Father in heaven, we pray to you because we trust in you. Please increase our faith. We believe, help our unbelief. You've told us in your word that those who trust you, trust in you, will never be shaken. Father, but our, our circumstances and our our sins have shaken us so easily this week. Let us trust that you alone are in control. And because you abide forever, we will abide forever. God, help us trust in adversity and help us believe that you surround us from this time forth and forevermore. We also pray, as you have taught us in the Psalms, that you would do good to those who are good those who you saved by your love. So Father, we pray for our dear friends, the Rosses. We pray that you would strengthen and establish the work of the gospel on the campus of you and I. And we ask that you would bring fruit from this, this meeting that they had last week, expecting that you will do work in those who do not yet know you and strengthen those who do know you through the gospel work of Nate and Becca. Abbas asked that you would establish the work of their hands, God. Please establish the work of their hands. 
and for our dear friends who have moved from this place to live out their vocations and other places, we pray that you would, you would bring peace upon them. We pray for the Jims and the Wests and the Wiedenbachers and the Goodells and the Sandifords. God, give them hearts that trust in you, God. We pray that they would find a, a communion of saints, local churches, as they look for a, a community. And we pray that you would help them get established in their communities, through, both through a local church and through neighborhoods and through schools and, and all of the things that you, all of the ways that you want to provide for them in those places. We pray that you would do good to us. Help us believe that those who entrust in you are unshakable that we are stable and secure because you are our God. No matter what comes our way, whether we lose a job or lose our health or, or fail in our classes or fail in our relationships, or even as we may fail you, help us to speak of the gospel with grace and love, first to ourselves and then to others. Holy Spirit, we know that you do this work in hearts. So we ask that you would be at work in our hearts and in the hearts of those that we are telling the good news of the gospel, those we are evangelizing. Establish the work of our hands as we trust in you. Help us believe that as we work and build on the foundation of the gospel, that our work cannot be moved because we trust in you alone and you in you alone. I'll give you a time of silence for personal application.